Hey everyone, I'm Connor. And I'm Jeff. And this is the Sad Boy Sessions, Emotional Identity in Christ. You know what's funny is, as these episodes have gone on, I feel like the first one we did a, a distinctively different intro so that it wouldn't be like discography draft, but the more we do it, I think we just adopted the official corner time intro. If, if it ain't broke, don't <laughs> fix it, you know? Yeah, just yeah. copy and paste wherever you can. It's got yeah. me through college. Oh. <laughs> Our topic today is cheating. <laughs> the emotion that is cheating. <laughs> yeah. Smug satisfaction followed by absolute despair. <laughs> Except, I mean, I'll tell you this though. Actually, I don't know if I should. <laughs> there's one class, Woo. there's one class in college that was just like, you know what? I don't care. I'm cheating. So clearly we have two very <laughs> flawed people in front of you well, it was just one of those where it's like all right you need this for your degree for some reason and it's also so hard and at seven in the morning i don't i don't blame you one bit there yeah during the time change when it's actually six in the morning forget it, it's for the birds yeah that's the episode you know so if this is your first time joining us, Jeff and I, we, we pick a specific emotion and then we discuss how we've seen that emotion manifest itself in our lives over the recent past and over the long term past. Then we pull some scripture and see what scripture has to say about that particular emotion. So today's episode, we're not talking about cheating. We're talking about fear. So do not fear slash fear not is the most often repeated command throughout the Bible. So surely there's something to that. But also, there's a difference between fearing, like being afraid of something, which the Bible says, do not be afraid. But it also says that we should have fear of God. So we'll start there. What do you think the the difference between those two is? Yeah, I think it's a good distinction to bring up, too. You know, one thing I didn't look into significantly before we did this that I kind of wish I had is to see if in the original language, if those were like the same exact uh, word, because oftentimes they can be translated I would, differently. I would guess that it probably is a different word. Yeah, because contextually they do seem very different. So I'm just, disclaimer, I haven't looked at the you know Greek and or Hebrew for that, but... One thing I did want to think about is, you know, there is kind of, when it says, do not be afraid, I think that is very much in the context of belonging to God and God's presence being with you. And he keeps reminding his people that mm-hmm. um, to not be afraid because he is with them and he has a plan and, you know, all those positive things of there's a plan for uh, these th- these things that are coming before you, these circumstances that you're in, so do not be afraid. But at the opposite time, or not the opposite time, but at the same time, um, he also gives, you know, there's also the command of to have a fear of the Lord. And I think that um, more or less correlates to what we would consider like the ideas of like awe and reverence, like having a healthy mm-hmm. respect for not only God's power, but also God's wrath. Like I think that's something that's kind of inescapable um, and it's kind of a difficult thing to talk about is, you know, is God wrathful? And it's like, yes, he is. But right, like we talked about, I think, was it last time we talked about righteous indignation and kind of a righteous anger? Was anger last? Uh, it was two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. Yeah, yeah I remember. Was we, last, last right, time. right. Um, so like talking about like, what is, you know, what is the consequence of that righteous anger? Rang- righteous anger. 
or anger, <laughs> righteous anger, the consequence of that is a just and kind of like complete wrath of God, um, which is the consequence of, you know, sin and kind of the brokenness that we see in the world. So basically that distinction as I see it is one is a healthy respect for God's righteous wrath, which we would be subject to if not save for the cross and his mercy. But also there is the command to not be fearful of man, of the circumstances that you're in, or just the kind of perils of the world because God has overcome the perils of the world. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of my two distinctions. What, what do you got? Yes, I, I mean, I think that's that's basically the gist of it is that when you are a child of God, meaning that you are you have submitted your life to Christ, that from that point on, the love of God and and the power of God will overcome any fear that you have of of any given thing or of any person because He is so much greater than than that thing so so you can lay that at the altar and at god's feet and then he will rid you of those fears but at the same time and so i was doing a little deep dive on this and there was an analogy by we're gonna bring him up again billy graham where he mentioned that when you when it says to fear the lord a way to think about that is like so it is it is about having reverence and in in the way that you would <laughs> to a very minor degree fear a stove like in and of itself it's hot yeah in and of itself it's not there to hurt you but it is it is powerful and it can hurt you if like you you if you put your hand on it like you kind of use it beyond without it's it's proper use per se or like if you were to sort of have reverence for like a really fast sports car mm. where like if you're driving that it's a total different drive than driving a Corolla which also be afraid of Corolla drivers we'll say it right now <laughs> we'll say it say it again yeah no no I think that's a good analogy and I definitely get the ethos behind it one that comes to mind for me is if we dip into fiction we and, will uh, creative fiction creative fiction how about that as, as opposed <laughs> to the uncreative fiction the fiction that exists <laughs> but is not created <laughs> yeah. okay i've said a lot of dumb things already and i don't know why that is That's fine. but anyway from renowned theologian c.s lewis of course i mean one of my i think one of my favorite things that he says or that he says through the chronicles of narnia is when i think it's in lion which in the wardrobe and narnia fans out there correct me if i'm wrong hit the comments i forget who which character is talking about it but they're basically describing aslan the great lion like basically the savior figure mm -hmm. in the chronicles of narnia and uh lucy one of the kids you know I, I think it's lucy asks you know well is he safe and they respond like no he's not safe but he is good mm -hmm. and so it's like you you don't need to have fear of him because he's good but at the same time like like you're saying like there is something baked into and in, in his being that is is unsafe like there is so much power and awe and majesty in the character of god that like yeah uh, like we just can't even comprehend what that would mean for for us as created beings to be like in the presence of it and like especially in a in a sinful unrepentant way like just the wrath that god could impose on us is just something beyond what we can fathom 
um, there is kind of this necessary, like, he is good, but he is unsafe because of how much power he possesses. I just, I love that characterization that Lewis brings to it, because he's like, yeah, he's not safe, but he is good, and that's why you can feel um, unafraid. Mm -hmm. That pretty much wraps up that point. It's, I think it's fairly straightforward that it's, it's two different types of fear, and I would... Have we actually done our research? <laughs> we found out that there's probably two different original words used for these types of fear. Possibly. Or a lot of times in the Hebrew pieces, I feel like it's a lot of contextual stuff. It can be the mm-hmm. same word, but it can be used in multiple ways depending on what surrounds it. So yeah, we'd love to do more research for you all on that one, but trust us. <laughs> we got a good idea. Trust what but it verify. Means. Exactly. So when it comes to fear over the past few weeks or so, how have you seen fear manifest itself in your life? That's a great question. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like I think I don't experience deep fear in a lot of ways. I think as, uh, as a self-proclaimed sad boy, there's a lot of, I think like I have like a lot of those 3am fears of like, what if I have absolutely everything wrong <laughs> and all that awaits us is oblivion? Existential. And existential dread. I was going to bring this if, up. Yeah, <laughs> like if that weaves its way into here. Just the idea of like, you know, and obviously we're talking about this from a Christian perspective and we are both proclaimed believers. Yes. So it's like, but I also think that opens the door talking about how like you can still be a believer and have moments of struggle with like, you know, big topics in life such as like, existential dread like the idea of oblivion and the idea of like if this is the only if you have one ticket to ride and everything that you know and perceive in your entire life comes and it goes Mm -hmm. like that is like equal parts terrifying and relieving i don't know i would i'd be curious to know if this is something that you have also spun the web on a little bit and for some reason it always just hits me late at night when you just can't sleep and you're like well shoot what if what if this is what if this is it? What if this is just another day and I have like only so many days? And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, the Bible's very clear, I think, of Ecclesiastes a lot of the time where it's like, yeah, there is a lot. Like your life is a vapor. It's a breath of the wind. Like it's not supposed to be, uh, you know, it's like one interesting thing that I think studying Ecclesiastes especially, but also just kind of none of this is about us. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, how I kind of wrap my head back around it in the sense of like, We've been promised eternal life, but it's not necessarily for us. You know, I think of um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, where the first question is, you know, what is the chief end of man? And it's, you know, to, to know God and glorify him forever. And it's like, if that's my purpose, like eternal life has meaning. But without that, I'm like, what, what would, even if you could live forever, what would be the point? I don't know. So, like, I think existential fear, even though most of my day-to-day is fear-free and, you know, I'm kind of just caught up in the busyness of life, going to work, having holidays and and that sort of thing, especially coming off Christmas as we are, like, I think, you know, for some reason New Year's kicks this in where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a new year, all kinds of new possibilities, and I'm just like, but it's just another year. Yeah. So I'm just one I'm, I'm curious, where, where has it popped up in your life? I, I hate to bring up the existential dread so soon, but... Well, I think that one's pretty prominent for me. Yeah. So I was thinking about this and over the past few weeks, I don't even, I mean, I don't have an answer for like how, if I have felt fear over the past few weeks, cause it's, it's like Christmas time when you feel fear about, and, and I'm also thinking about, all right, well I turned 30 this year. 
So a a, a grown man, what a, very muchly so. A, yeah, uh, <laughs> a a grown man, no wife, no kids. So you don't have like a a little two year old running around. So you're afraid of you're constantly in fear of this thing just hurting itself because it's running into God knows what. Without that in my life, and it's like what actually makes me afraid at this stage of my life and it's and i think about like it has to be just existential dread would be one number two would be something very sudden and abrupt that catches you off guard that happens so like if you're driving on i4 and the car in front of you just breaks all of a sudden you're like oh so like you're afraid in that moment because it's just it totally caught you off guard or if you get just like terrible news that someone you love has like a terminal illness or something like that then you would feel feel the fear of of the impending loss or if your your boss is just like hey can i have a word with you and you're just like oh no what could this be which it surely is a promotion <laughs> yeah exactly and then you start thinking about well, what have i done wrong and you come up with nothing but then you're still convinced that you did something wrong because why else would they want to talk to you yeah it's yeah i think that's a good one you know it's funny when you mentioned the holidays like i remember being a kid and always fearing i was on the naughty list like <laughs> i would go back through like all the things i possibly did over the last year that would be like incurring santa's wrath you know? <laughs> yeah. just the, the ways that we condition our children is, <laughs> is interesting but i literally thought about being on the naughty list a lot when i was the a kid. the, the a christian parts of of, <laughs> of christmas <laughs> christian uh adjacent <laughs> yeah where it's it's like oh you're teaching a good message you, you've been completely you've either means. been good or bad over this past year and you will reap what you sow and it's like that's not quite christmas <laughs> in fact i would argue the opposite so but with existential dread like that's i feel like that that is what would occur m most often as like a grown adult not to say that it occurs very often, but in terms of like what would scare me, it's probably that kind of thing where you just start, you're like lying in bed and you, you just think about, well, I'm almost 30 years old. I'm single. I don't have any kids. Do I love my job? Is this what I want to do for the next 40 years? What happens when I'm 70 and I look back at my life? Am I satisfied with it? Oh, I never learned to play the guitar. Oh, I'm I'm not good at any sport. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, I think like you know, the thing you say like right there is just kind of especially bringing up like the 70 thing and I I think so much of us look to like I think that's why people get really obsessed with legacies. Yeah. Like the idea of legacy and remembrance and like they you know i think there's a lot of proverbs over the like not necessarily biblical proverbs but just wise sayings that say i forget who it said it basically one is like you die two deaths one is when you breathe your last breath and the second is when you were last remembered like okay, when, yeah. all memory of you kind of passes <laughs> but you know like i follow that you know my spiral leads me to okay well if there's nothing beyond this world if there really is no spiritual realm and i'm just you know off my rocker which I can admit, okay, maybe I am. But if that's true, I'm like, the sun expands, the sun explodes, earth goes, nothing is remembered, and that's what I hate. I hate the existential, like, you're, like it's either everything matters incredibly much because it happened, yeah. or it matters not at all because none of it will actually last. 
and I think that's kind of a big a big piece of what I'd get to in a second is another another kernel of fear for me is and I think I recognize this more or less after my dad passed is mm-hmm. is the deep uh, fear of that comes from our attachments um, and I think a lot of philosophies not just necessarily judeo-christian philosophies but like buddhism i feel like touches on this a lot i think every i think each of them has a different answer to okay if so much of our pain suffering and usually what we're fearing is pain and or suffering whether it's Mm -hmm. like emotional psychological physical pain and suffering we choose to avoid that generally speaking what does it come from and usually it's because we're attached to something like you said, maybe it's that job I'm attached to. Like I'm, I'm attached to my income because it, it <laughs> provides so many of these mm-hmm. other things that I think are important. We're attached to specific people. And it's like, what happens if that person isn't here anymore? Which is kind of the the pain that I suffered with the loss of a parent. I mean, I've had people in the periphery of my life pass, but kind of in like a sequence that it was expected. Yes. Like grandparents and things like that where I'm like, okay, yeah, they were old. Like they, they all passed at a normal age for the most part. You prepare yourself for it. Right. There's kind of a, this is a natural flow of life. But then if you have a parent that dies, you know, young or sooner than expected, it's like, oh, okay, I wasn't prepared for that. And so I think that, you know, a lot of the answers that people offer philosophically is like, I guess you can either like back the heck away, become a hermit and try not to be attached to anything, like not have those attachments, which... I want to say is more in line with like a Buddhist philosophy. I feel like that was a lot of like what Buddha did was like, you know, he practiced poverty and so he wasn't attached to material things. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I, that's not a very like rich and full life in a lot of ways. But I think the hardest one, you know, and then I guess the opposite is, and I think this is what Christian philosophy would teach, is how much more meaningful is everything that you have right here and now because, you know, it can it can pass and be taken away. And again, that kind of comes back to Ecclesiastes where it talks about how there's a season for everything and so much of life does pass quickly. But um, I think the beauty of it is, you know, you can have these moments of great clarity where it's like, okay, knowing that people may leave your life suddenly, doesn't that make you cherish the people that are still in it so much more? And I'd like to think that's where I've kind of ended up, at least with the attachments to people thing. It's like, if I'm not promised tomorrow, how much more do I have to have today matter in a significant way? And, you know, be there for my friends and be there for my wife and serve and be charitable and like have a kind heart, like practice Christian virtue because we're not promised that we'll still be here tomorrow, but mm-hmm. we know we'll be together again later. And so, I don't know, it's a little bit of a tirade, but I think that's kind of where I've come to it kind of with you know what am i fearing and usually it's it's attached to something that i fear to lose yeah and so and you brought up legacy which is something that i've considered too because so i have three brothers technically speaking they're all my half brothers one of them is on my mom's side the other two are on my dad's side the one that's on my mom's side 41 years old and i at, at this point doesn't look like he'll ever have children Hopefully he does, but I don't know. And then the other two, I don't know, but we'll see. But they're also 37. So, like, I'm turning 30 this year. And so I've I've considered, is it up to me <laughs> to carry on this, the Salus legacy? I don't know. But that's also, like, a selfish way to look at it because it's like, well, what do you matter? 
does the world need an, another Salus? It's like, it's up to God, I guess. But uh, this is something that, I've, okay, so I've been watching Yellowstone. Fam- I have not watched yet. I've heard good things. It is spectacular. It's it's Western Sopranos. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's with the accents and all. Yeah, that's just, they're all Italian. There's a, new, there's they're, a still wearing, they're still wearing wife beaters and, <laughs> and tracksuits. park. <laughs> Polly Walnut. Now we know how we're gonna leave our legacy. We're gonna actually make the yellow, yeah, the Western Sopranos. <laughs> but they, <sighs> they talk. The whole thing is about legacy. It's like they had. There's this enormous ranch that is like, I to this point I don't even really know how big it is, but it effectively is is all of Montana. Large. It seems like, um, and it's like okay, they so it it basically it's set in Bozeman, and. In 1883, I think is the year, was like this, the the Dutton family founded Bozeman. Okay. And so they established this ranch that is like just all encompassing. Is Montana. <laughs> it is Montana. And and so it's like, okay, this ranch has been passed down from for seven generations, however many it is. And so now it's like, all right, they have this ranch, but... There's these outsiders that are trying to come in and and invoke eminent domain and trying to like pump money in, into the economy by buying this ranch so that they can build uh, an airport and a ski resort and all this stuff. And in 1883? No, no, no. This is oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the I Wright brothers. Or... Yeah, I was like, gonna build an airport. Uh, so it's, however. There's a spinoff called 1883 or 1886. I don't remember what. Oh, which is about the like family settling it. Yes. And then Yellowstone happens later. Got it. But Yellowstone preceded the the show. Yellowstone preceded this. So anyway, so we got it together. It's it's I think yeah. So it's basically present day. There and there's trying they're trying to build a airport and a ski resort and all this stuff. But and at the same time, it's like all right. So they've they've made an offer to try and. 50, they, they're trying to buy 50,000 acres of this ranch, which is, there's still more ranch than that, but they're like, all right, we're, we'll give you $10,000 an acre, so that's $500 million, and Costner, who's the main character, he's like, I'm not selling. <laughs> but anyway, so the whole thing is about legacy and trying to carry on the legacy of this ranch, which they know at some point is not going to exist. Down the line, people are going to take it from them. someone less less strong-willed than kevin costner's gonna sell <laughs> right yeah one of his children or, or whatever but uh, that all the while there's like native americans that are there too so it's like a reminder of like their land being taken yeah so it's like this was taken from them and now it's being taken from from the duttons or attempted to be taken from the duttons and then so this it goes into legacy and it's well at some point is all of this going to matter? And then there's the existential dread of that. So over the past year-ish, when have you seen fear pop up in your life? Well, I'd say as a, you know, I don't want a tangent into crazy political realm. I was going to go here too. I don't. And it's yeah. not crazy. Well, I just, I don't want to get too deep into the pot. I don't want to turn anyone off by just getting too political with it. But I think we've all let, <laughs> lived under some veil of varying fear regarding the pandemic yeah 
you know, how much of that is warranted is, I think, a huge question based on, you know, like, in, you know, weirdly enough, I think for me, it's always been mostly social fear. I've, I've had, I'm a survivor. I've had COVID. I've had the vaccine. I've survived both, (laughs) both the actual disease and the, and the so-called cure. But, um, I, I think for me, more or less, like, I feared, like, being ostracized i feared you know potentially like what is this going to mean for my job what is this going to mean for like the economy and other things like like how much is this one event going to spiral and do all these other things um and you know i think less of my fear was like directly related to like covid covid i mean obviously it has taken the lives of many many people so there's like a fear of like well you know could my grandma get it when she's in Mm. uh, you know a nursing home and she doesn't have the the same immune system and everything and so I think that has, you know, over the last year, it's it's easy to say that that has been. And, it, like, also social fear is, like, I was getting married during this time. What did that look like to yeah. be like, okay, we're going to try to, you know, plan a wedding in the midst of constantly changing mm-hmm. protocols of, like, can you wear masks? Can people even be there? Can you sit next to each other? And, and so much of that was outside of our control, you know? It's just, like, what your venue says you can do. It's not like we can be like, well, that's dumb, so we're going to go get married in an open field. I guess we could have done that. You can do <laughs> that. We, you very much can do that if you choose to. But yeah, like so much of it was kind of wrapped up. And again, it was this lack of like, I, I was attached to the idea of here is my and my bride's ideal wedding. Is that going to be like, can we make that manifest? Or is it going to be something entirely different because of the circumstance we can't control? And so, I mean, we've def- we definitely had some issues. Like we had to change our venue. That was a big moment of like i guess panic you know panic is kind of the same thing as fear like immediate fear mm-hmm. um you know where circumstances change rapidly you, you panic and you're like i don't have a immediate plan for this and so yeah i would say a lot of that and and also just like the fear of ostracization of like you know i haven't agreed with the main line of of everything over the past year i certainly know you haven't um <laughs> to varying degrees and yeah. so it's it's just this kind of like you know, am I going to lose friends over something like this? You know, and and I just, I hate for that to be the case. And I don't think I have because I think everyone is, is at least in my sphere, very willing and open to talk about, you know, varying approaches to this and, and what that has entailed. But yeah, I think for me, so much of it was like, I like my social life. I like where my life is heading in marriage. And I don't want this to, to wreck any of the vision that I had for it. So it definitely required a lot of a lot of trust and a lot of patience and kind of figuring things out and not panicking, not thinking that the end of the world was coming, but kind of like ensuring, even though I'd planned my way, letting the Lord guide the steps of how do we get from point A to point B. So I think that's been a lot of it for me. Yeah. And I I would say over the past year, like my my main fear has come from not COVID itself, but like government response to it. And I mean, you texted me right before, right before this. You're like, "Hey, few people I've been around with recently. Turns out they tested positive for COVID. Just want to let you know that ahead of time." And I'm just like, "I don't care. <laughs> I, I fear not this disease because I don't think it should be feared, especially at this stage." But this is part of like going about your daily life. It's like, you, there's no law that states that you are entitled to not get sick by living your life it's like yeah that's just an inherent risk of being alive is that you might somehow get sick and 
everyone does at various points in their lives and and most of the time it's totally fine but i guess my fear of the past year has just been like government proving their absolute ineptitude and people just being like yeah tell me what to do tell me how to live my life and it's like to what end like how i start i become afraid of of like where's the country going are people just willing to throw their lives away and then then that now i start thinking of the existential thing of what if i were one of those people and i get to 70 years old and i've been wearing a mask for 40 years and i look back at my life and i'm like oh god <laughs> was all this worth it and the answer is no i mean and then COVID aside just politics in general with just the, the way meanings of words are being redefined and 1984 is starting to seem less fictional and and more like it could possibly happen but all that stuff where it's like okay now existential here we go again of i think about if it is god's plan that the united states should fail at some point during my lifetime oh that's that soon that scares me because with like the the surge of big tech like you just think like the the first iphone came out like less than 15 years ago and and same thing with like facebook came out i don't know 15 years ago let's call it like 2007 yeah so i mean you just think about like that is not long ago but to see like how much say these kind like apple and facebook and big tech now has in our lives nowadays and just to have accumulated that over let's call it 15 maybe 20 years depending on the company is like that's crazy that's like an exponential growth of i don't even know of of these companies sort of like dictating how society runs and and then you bring in the media with just the dishonesty and and just perpetrating lies and and people just buying into that and and not willing to to like do their own research when when the media says something and so that all that scares me and it's like well if this is all all this is happening over the past 15 years or so like what are the next 40 gonna look like like if am i 70 years old and are there two united states are how is this even working anymore and and i so then i start to think back think about like okay if this is god's plan am i okay with that and right now the answer is no that's that scares the heck out of me because it's like that that i i in, in part because i can't even comprehend what that would mean if that did happen but if it is god's plan i can trust that it is good but to say that that doesn't scare me and and it might not even happen but i start to talk myself into it and it's something certainly amiss in the country it would seem and we are super political nowadays that is what has been scaring me over the past year as is just to see and it really i think boils down to covid as as an excuse for the government to take control over people's lives and and really just to see people so willingly give up freedoms is just terrifying to me but that's how i feel hey that's what we're here for we're here for the we're here for the true feelings behind the behind the man yeah so what about just over the course of your life writ large writ large life where does the fear come and thinking back to like childhood (laughs) childhood jeff too childhood jeff childhood fears are like everywhere goofy <laughs> oh yeah i thought i thought um quicksand was going to be such a bigger deal in my life than it has been to date 
Like, I was so fearful of, like, that kind of stuff growing up, which just like, oh, my God, what if I get stuck in quicksand? I got to know how to get out. Like, I would legitimately look that up. Yeah. <laughs> when I was, like, able, you know, able to Google something, like, how to get out of quicksand, like, thinking that was going to be a thing. But, no, I had, like, some, I had some really weird ones growing up. Not weird ones, but, like, okay, I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida. I had a fear of roller coasters for the longest time. I did not ride a roller coaster until I went to Bush Gardens in Tampa that was, Bay. That was my Montu. first. Pop. <laughs> my roller coaster. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's up? What? Uh, no, but yeah, like we, it was actually through a through a church trip. We did like a little get out of town, go down to Tampa Bay, uh, Bush Gardens, and that I was like, oh my gosh, like I would have like an irrational fear where I'm like, oh, only so many people die on roller coasters. It's like impossibly low but it's not zero but it's not zero so i'm like <laughs> what if i was the person that yeah, you know, gets luck. Yeah. yeah exactly but i had a fear of shark bites okay. again being from florida going to new summer to be shark bite capital of the world i'm like i'm gonna totally get bit by a shark and lose my leg so i didn't spend as much time in the ocean i was a pool guy loved the pool hated the ocean for a while hey i still am <laughs> still do um, but, th- but that is that that is not even necessarily like a absurd fear that is reverence of the ocean <laughs> i'm in awe <laughs> yeah. of the ocean the unexplored depths of our planet yeah but yeah I, no one thing i think it comes down to one, one of the things is especially as a kid this is magnified because we are so not world weary we are children and we have crazy imaginations is a fear of the unknown like there's yeah. a fascination and a deep fear i think when i got like old enough to kind of get deeper into science i i still have an incredible fascination and deep fear of black holes and other celestial phenomena. How can you not? Because it's just like, what do you mean that there's this hole in space that if you get too close, you can't leave, and it's just, you don't know what happens after that. Like, it is a total, incomplete, pretty yeah. much a mystery. Yeah, what do you mean? Like, all we can do is think of, like, well, yeah, there's a just, a, yeah, something just punched a hole in the gravitational fabric of the universe. What do you like, mean what? scientists have no idea what happens? Yeah, trust the science. The science it's doesn't like, know. Light does not escape. Yeah. Like, <laughs> event horizon, that's the two scariest words I've ever heard of. Yeah, so I mean, I just, there's certain things like that, and like open water, oh my gosh, you get me out like where I can't see a coast anywhere to go, and it's just like... Riptides? Yeah, I feared all that stuff, but you know, I always try to boil it down to like rationalize, like what was the kernel of truth underneath all that? I think it's just a fear of the unknown, like I didn't, I I don't know much about roller coasters till I ride one, you know, and you know, you slowly but surely kind of get over those fears. I think currently, I still have a a fear of burns like of all the injuries that i could have i just hate Mm -hmm. the idea of being burned the most to the point where it's like that was kind of a big reason i didn't cook at home for a long time i just i wasn't comfortable in a kitchen using an oven and using a stove and i'm just like what if what if the worst should happen and i pour hot oil all over my body and yeah it's just like stuff that is like so not like it could happen but it's so not likely to especially if you're doing it right i don't know those those are definitely a couple though but it always boils down to like i just don't know what's gonna happen so like why risk it but i think i've definitely gotten more once you approach 30 you're like caution of the wind (laughs) what else am i gonna do let's let's just live life um which i guess some people hit in their 20s and that's their you know (laughs) how they live their 20s but i was much more cautious i think uh, growing up, I had a very strong fear of rejection, especially from ladies. Probably starting in middle school, mm-hmm. and then 
through high school kind of fizzled out in college a bit because i kind of found my confidence in college and had a new set of friends like that was the thing is like growing up going to public school you literally had the same set of friends for like eight years of your life yeah. and you love them but you're also like we all know each other by the eighth grade like if we're not getting married we know by now <laughs> we know sure. everyone's dirty secrets yeah. so it's like high school is potentially that next new like great horizon i i nosedived freshman year of high school i socially blew it so hard trench coat uh, jeff trench coat jeff there's pictures somewhere <laughs> but yeah i just was not ready for jumping into the big pond really and that kind of set the tone of like i think it was only by like late junior senior year that i was like i feel good being in high school college was much better though for the most part so, but yeah, I had a deep sense of rejection because I'm like, if they were, if like someone rejects me, it's like, clearly I'm, bro- <laughs> clearly I'm not worth it. <laughs> like I'm yeah. broken. It's not like the very rational fear of like, oh, they don't hate me, but maybe they don't want to date me. It's, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> it was always just like, I'm ugly. Yeah. It was like, I'm irredeemable. <laughs> I'm filth. I am a worm. No, it's just <laughs> like uh, all this dramatic stuff, which, you know, hormones raging made a lot of sense back in the day, but less so now but again it was it was kind of the catastrophizing and in, in the unknown of like okay if i don't get a girlfriend in high school will i ever get married will anyone ever want me you, you ask like these crazy questions that's like probably not true but yeah those are definitely a couple of mine over the years thinking back to when i was a kid i was also afraid of roller coasters nice i want to say that actually <laughs> i don't think the first one i ever rode Technically, a roller coaster would have been at Bush Gardens. It, it was probably at like a YMCA summer camp where we went to this one little place that I don't even know what it's even called, but it's like an indoor like play area where they have like those like towers that you climb and it's like, all right, there's one level and there's a hole and you go down and there's like, and then there's, I don't know, you, you would know it. if you saw it. A you jungle gym? Not, not, not like a jungle gym, like a recess jungle gym, but like it's. It's colorful. There, it's there's like felt and tarps and and then oh, I kind of there's like about. a slide with like rollers that you you slide. Down. Well, so there's like a little uh, roller coaster in there where it just kind of like takes you in like a circle. I think Woo. so. That was probably the first. But is that really a roller coaster? Technically, sure. In reality, no. Not what we're conceptually thinking about. So I do think the first roller coaster I ever rode was Guazi, at. Also, Bush Gardens. Whiplash for days. Absolutely. The, the backseat of Guazi doesn't isn't in case you have back pain. It's to give you back pain. <laughs> you will have back pain when you leave this ride. <laughs> yeah. So, but then from from that point, and then I rode Montu like right after that, and I was like, oh, I'm in. Montu's the truth, man. It I is. think that was my first one. It literally blew my mind. I'm like, I don't. My feet aren't even touching the ground. Yeah. And then I, I mean, when we, because you and I went a few months ago. I don't remember when it was. But I don't like when. When was the time you had gone to Bush Gardens prior to that one? Like most recently. Oh gosh, it'd been years. I hadn't been to Bush Gardens in a hot minute. And Montu, she still purrs. Absolutely more than I remember. We're not even sponsored by Bush Gardens, but if we were, <laughs> yeah, keep Montu alive because it is Please. by far your best roller coaster. Absolutely. She cruises great, but it's too fast. Kumba is Kumba. You'll black out on Kumba. Having said, last time we went, it was the first time I got to do, uh, was it Cheetah Chase? Cheetah Run? Cheetah Hunt? Cheetah Hunt? Yeah. That was sick. That yeah, was a good one. Good. Well, anyway, so that's roller coasters. Which we've now both conquered our fears of, so I think it's very relevant. Yep. And But then also growing up, like, definitely afraid of the dark, afraid of monsters under my bed or in the closet, whatever, which is like, I don't even know at what age I got over that, but 
I mean, I'm not afraid of those things nowadays. So, but it's also like that's I mean that's fear of the unknown, and then you're also a kid, so you talk yourself into these things somehow being in your room inconceivably but but as a kid growing up i didn't used to be afraid of the ocean i was more like devil may care attitude about it or like i'll go play in the ocean well it's when you get a certain amount of information yeah and then i become more informed and i'm like oh i'm good (laughs) we have feet not fins which means we are meant to be on land not in the water the fact that we built boats at all was a, a testament to our own yeah hubris <laughs> yeah and then that's another thing like i've never been on a cruise before which not not to say that i'm opposed to it I, honestly the opportunity just really hasn't afforded itself but same here but we can we'll talk later <laughs> but spring break 2022 <laughs> cdc says don't get on a cruise ship to save your entire life we're getting on a cruise ship. we're gonna single-handedly keep royal caribbean <laughs> yeah but there's a partial fear of like what if we get out in the middle of the o- middle of the ocean and the big o the, the middle of the ocean and it's like i've seen the movie poseidon what if we turn over what if it's a rogue wave yeah i've seen titanic <laughs> and and then you're just floating out there uh, so i've developed like a reverent fear of the ocean because it is it is mighty it is very unknown and it's tempestuous yeah yeah and it's not where we're meant to be but it is right there and it's like oh this this seems lovely i would love to have a home that has a view of the ocean but i don't want to go in the ocean the shore is different from the ocean the coast is different yeah conceptually yeah but then okay so here's more fears (laughs) over the course of my life this is fun uh clowns Oh, really? You were a clown guy. My brother still was a, am clown a clown guy. guy. still Here's, are. I'll tell you this. Here's the reason. Honestly, it's no laughing matter for folks at home. I will never laugh at a clown. I'll tell you what. Okay, so number one, Tim Curry and the original It. That's it. That's. I don't think I've seen the original. That is when he comes up through the drain. Well, if you haven't seen it, but it's like, okay, I think that definitely sparked a fear of clowns in, in me that he's got... he's razor sharp teeth and he eats children or whatever and then also air bud oh god fear of golden retrievers no the the villain is a clown <laughs> i forgot about that yeah uh trying the to, og air bud trying years. to trying to steal the greatest dog known to man a golden retriever what are clowns up to? unforgivable but here's really it this is the the number one reason the pinnacle of the, clown fear the pinnacle of clown fear is not necessarily of a a clown per se but of the person who desires to be a clown <laughs> i have one question expound and it's why why would you want to be a clown of all the things you could do is as a terrifying proposition i don't get it why and for any clowns who might be listening we're more or less curious but we also don't know. So write us write us in the comments. Why did you become a clown? And you know what's funny? <laughs> is I brought this up at a Young Life thing once. And we had like some new leaders that were kind of introduced, whatever. And so we're just going around. We're, we're, I, I think we were telling our, our fears. And so I brought up clowns. And I, I brought up like, all right, the person who wants to be a clown. That's what really scares me. And this, this one girl, she goes... She's like, 
I went to clown school. I was like, you did not. She's like, yeah, I did. I really went to clown school. And I was like, I stand by what I said. That I'm terrified of you. Yeah. But that it's but it's I don't know. There's something about clowns of like being a a grown man who wants to put on an abundance of makeup and entertain children. <laughs> it's like something's off. And that's what scares me. So clowns. And they, and they don't make a lot of money either. Yeah, so you're it's like you're not, it for it's something not like bigger you're, than money. It's not like you're getting a hundred grand. It's it's it. Yeah. I mean, I I I don't even know what a clown's salary is. Are they on salary? Are they hourly wage? Do they clock in? Do they have a timesheet? Is it a gig thing? I, yeah. Whew. So I don't know. Man, this has really gone a different direction than I expected. <laughs> but and then finally, something I've always been afraid of is space. Of course, yep. Yep. the movie Gravity sums up my fear of space is what if i were an astronaut and i was in the international untethered. yeah on international space station and i become untethered and i'm just floating and and i and it's just i'm i'm waiting until i pass away the only thing worse than dying is having to wait for it yeah am i willing to just take the helmet off and just die right there and i don't even know what that would look like but i'm sure it wouldn't be pleasant or do i just wait and just see the world and everyone I've ever known is right there and I'm drifting away from it and there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And and the fact that there maybe there is a chance for rescue but it's completely outside of your except for in gravity a lot of weird stuff happens in that movie. But <laughs> your only hope is George Clooney somehow shows George up. George Clooney's and, spiritual projection. Yeah. Um yeah, no I'm 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 100% there with you. Have you ever read um, or I don't know if there's like audio versions, but I, I get deep on like the internet, Reddit, all that stuff. And there was like one where it's like, um, like the rec- the last recorded transmissions of like cosmonauts during the Soviet space program. And it's just like I dare we don't not, talk about it. I but dare it's not like, listen to that. That, that happened horrible. to some of them where it's like I just got launched into space and I'm not coming. Back. I'm just like, how awful is that? <laughs> yeah, that- and it's not like they were the like they were heroes, but it's like. So, you know, we just covered up its mistakes. Not to say America doesn't, but it's like America's astronauts were genuinely mostly heroes to the people. I'm like, imagine you just don't get remembered. You're the guy that got just jettisoned off into space. They didn't want to talk about it. So it's just like, eh, you're just that guy floating off that, somewhere I mean, near Mars by now. That's my biggest fear. But it's also my biggest irrational fear because I I'm not going to be an astronaut. I will never go to space. No, no, thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. But, oh, here's something. Matt and I have had this discussion before, as have many... Th- I, I do miss Matt. I feel like he'd be so good for this episode. I'm sure he fears some really weird stuff. Oh, oh. Uh, I can't... But please, can't shed confirm, some light. But uh, I'll, I'll leave that for him to, at some point, share. I'm sure many people have had this discussion before, but Matt and I have had it. Would, would you rather burn to death or drown? This is hard for me because I've already told you that my fear of burns is not great. I've heard that drowning, for some reason, is the psychologically worst way to die. Yep. I don't know why that is, but I honestly don't. I guess burn. You would I, rather burn to death? I saying? guess. Yeah, because at least it would be fast. Would it? I think so. Would it? How How are we burning here? This is really morbid, but but okay. So there's but there's different kinds of burning to death. There's like a nuke being dropped, in which case you're vaporized. I'll take that versus trapped in a burning home that you can't get out of, let's say. Okay, but the thing is, wouldn't you, like, asphyxiate before you, like, burn to death in a burning home? Let's take smoke out of it. (laughs) Fire without smoke. Where there's no smoke, there's still fire. 
Like, okay, let's say someone throws you into a pit of fire. I don't know. Not ne- it hell, but. It's really neither, honestly. Both of those would be horrendous. I hope neither of them approach me in my life. Where, yeah. But I so, want to say, I guess, burning death. At least people have done that historically. Put me on a pyre. People have historically drowned. <laughs> need, I I, need I bring up the Titanic again? I don't know. I was just thinking of like a spectacle. <laughs> Light me up in town square. <laughs> the Titanic was a spectacle of all spectacles. Yeah, Joan of Arc. I think they froze to death before they drowned. Well, I would say some of them probably drowned too. Anyway, not the point. Okay, so that's where he was at too. He would rather drown. Or no, sorry. He would rather burn to death. And I was like, I would, with a bullet, take drown over burn to death. Because if it's like a just a, a fire fire, not a nuke vaporization, then it's like, how how long truly will it take for you for the, the I think the, your the, nerve endings get fried really fast though so it's like the pain but do they I don't know I I think theoretically they do I would rather but my I'm glad is, that I don't know the answer to these I, questions. I do not want to fear I do not want to feel the most excruciating level of pain I would rather fill I, your lungs with but warm so water. Th- but that's the thing it's like with drowning there is there is literally zero pain it, really I would assume, isn't there? What would be what would be the know. what would be I've the pain? Drowned. Like just like if you're just in your pool, and you just someone just put little cinder blocks on you. We'll be, go back to the Sopranos. <laughs> if you get bootstrap build, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where it's like it's it's just deep enough for you to drown, not so deep that like the pressure of the water is what like kills you. But but if you're just in your pool and you you drown in your pool, like does the water filling your lungs is that painful i don't know probably i would say comparably to burning to death not even close but it is it's psychological and it's like that's why it's considered a terrible way to die is like you know you're dying you are you're aware of what's happening to you and it's similarly like floating off in the space it's just a matter of time you're just waiting for you to die and you're aware that it's happening and you can't do anything about it until like until the the darkness overcomes you Darkness took me, <laughs> yeah, and I strayed out of thought yeah, and uh-huh. time. So, I'll take uh, drowning over burning, please. Final answer. I guess drowning at, at this point. You've convinced me. I'd rather just drown, accept my fate. There you go. <laughs> On that cheery well, note, now, now let's that turn to the word. <laughs> now that we figured that out, we're gonna drown ourselves. <laughs> drown ourselves in the scripture. holy scriptures. All right. So here are some verses in scripture that have to do with fear. And there's a lot. And so I'll, this is a selection. And I'll tell you what, a lot of them you're going to find in, in the Psalms. Not surprised. But in no particular order. All right. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Second Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. First John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfect, perfected in love. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? 
Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And finally, Psalm 23, the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, Amen and amen. Yeah, so... I don't know, any, any closing thoughts? Yeah, um, just to jump off that Second Timothy 1, I just love how practical it is. It, could you read it again real fast? I can. Second Timothy 1, seven. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Yeah, I love that. So first of all, we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit, which is beautiful, and how we're not given a spirit of fear, but we're given a love, power, and self-control. And I love that self-control is thrown in there. Um, cause I think for me, um, one of the things that helps me with my fear on a practical level, um, you know, like certainly there is, um, spiritual disciplines like, you know, being steeped in prayer and, you know, putting the things in my life before God and like, there's plenty to be said for that. But just the idea that a fruit of the spirit, both in Galatians and repeated throughout a lot of the new Testament is self-control like this idea that we are given the power to be free of our sin and to control ourselves. And to me, it just puts that locus of control back in your hands of, you know, like a lot of what you talked about, especially with like the COVID thing. It's like, well, what if the government becomes tyrannical in the next 40 years? It's like, well, we individually can't control that, but we can control who we are and what we do no matter the outside circumstances. So it's like during COVID, you know, it's like I can't control COVID, but I can control what I do, how I help people. Am I showing love and care and compassion to my neighbors during a difficult time? Like, I just love that that's thrown in there. Like love, power, and self-control, just kind of kind of taking back some of that agency of, you know, because a lot of people can kind of throw up their hands and be like, oh, yeah, well, whatever's God's will is going to happen anyway, so what do I need to do? And it's like, no, it's kind of exactly the opposite point is you have agency in this. Like mm-hmm. God moves through you with the Holy spirit, use your self control, not only to build yourself up, but to help and care for those around you. Um, and so I just think, you know, um, best way to meet fear is with power, love and self control. And I think second Timothy highlights that really well. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's a word of encouragement. Um, is that when you become a believer of Jesus and you submit your life to him, it is at that moment that you are adopted into sonship as the, as scripture puts it. And at that moment that you become a child of God for we're initially, we're all his creation. We're not all his children though. The Bible makes a distinction about that, that only those who are followers of Jesus are children of God. Um, And with that comes the, inheritance of being a part of God's kingdom for all eternity. But also at that moment is when you receive the Holy spirit in your life, which Ephesians one talks about is, is a seal that guarantees that inheritance. And it is 
it is the spirit of God that is equally God the Father, equally God as God the Father, God the Son. There's God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, most slept on of the Trinity, historically yeah, speaking. Pretty true. And you have that in you when you be, when you give your life to Jesus. You the the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and when it enters you, it will never leave you. Scripture promises us that. It is a seal. So the way to think about that is a king's seal is he's writing some a, a decree or whatever, uses his seal on the, what is it, ink? I don't know what it is. Wax. Wax. Yeah. The wax on the back of it to seal it shut. So there's his emblem so that whoever it is intended for, as they are opening it, they see that this is the king's seal. It has not been touched and, and it, it will not come undone. So when we are standing before God and we have to give an account of our lives. What he sees is is no longer our sins, but he sees the Holy Spirit in us and that's it. That's what matters from that point, which is I've always found to be very encouraging. And that that spirit lives in us now. So it is able to cast out all those fears because you have the the powerful Holy Spirit that is God. It dwells inside you. So all these fears that you have, if you just submit them to God, submit them to the Holy Spirit, they can be easily defeated. So that's all we have to say. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you all later.